0: You're listening to the St. John's and Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Senior Minister Tim Johnson.
1: Chapter 23, starting at verse 12 through to verse 35, which can be found on page 905 of the Pew Bibles. So Acts 23, starting at verse 12. The next morning, some Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. More than 40 men were involved in this plot. They went to the chief priests and the elders and said, We have taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we have killed Paul. Now then... You and the Sanhedrin petitioned the commander to bring him before you on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about this case. We are ready to kill him before he gets here. But then the son of Paul's sister heard of this plot. He went to the barracks and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions to him. Take this young man to the commander. He has something to tell him. So they took him to the commander. The centurion said, Paul, the prisoner sent for me and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took the young man by the hand, drew him aside and asked, what is it you want to tell me? He said, some Jews have agreed agreed to ask you to bring Paul before Sanhedrin tomorrow on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about him. Don't give in to them, because more than 40 of them are waiting to ambush for him. They have taken an oath not to eat or drink until they have killed him. They are ready now, waiting for your consent to their request. The commander dismissed the young man with this warning. Don't tell anyone that you have reported this to me. Then he called two of his centurions and ordered them, get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers and 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at nine tonight. Provide horses for Paul so that he may be taken to safety to Governor Felix. He wrote a letter as follows. Claudius Lysia, to His Excellency Governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and they were about to kill him, but I came with my troops and rescued him for I had learned that he was a Roman citizen. I wanted to know why they were accusing him, so I brought him to the Sanhedrin. I asked that the accusations had to do with questions about their law, but there was no charge against him that deserved death or imprisonment. When I was informed of the plot to be carried out against this man, I sent him to you at once. I also ordered that their accusers to present to you their case against him. So the soldiers, carrying out their orders, took Paul with them during the night and brought him as far as Antipas. Then the next day they led the cavalry to go out with him while they were returning to their barracks. When the cavalry arrived at Caesarea, they delivered a letter to the governor and handed Paul over to him. The governor read the letter and asked what What. Province he was from, Learned that he was from Cilicia, he asked, I will hear your case when your accusers get here. Then he ordered that Paul be kept under guard in Herod's place.
0: G'day, everyone. Uh, my name's Tim, I'm the senior minister here, and uh, yeah, we're going to be unpacking that passage from Acts as we continue this uh, little series we've been doing. Uh, the Church on Mission, thinking about the early church and how they took the message of Jesus out and uh, how that impacts uh, our own thinking about how we do the same, where we are today. Uh, so, 20 years ago, almost exactly, it was uh, 1999, I had a job interview which changed the course of my life. I uh, went for a job at uh, the Anglican Youth Department in Sydney. I'd been recommended for this job by uh, someone from church who thought I'd be great for this role, so they encouraged me to go and apply for this job. I thought, yeah, this this looks really cool. I got dressed up in my finest uh, when heading off uh, to the interview. And five minutes into the one-hour interview, it was absolutely clear to the interviewer that I was not even in the ballpark of being qualified for this job. And it was clear to me that this was not the job that I thought I was applying for and it was not a job that I would want to do in 100 years. So for the next 55 minutes of the one hour that we'd both set aside, we just chatted. And uh, this guy took an interest in my life. He asked me about what my plans were. I talked about how I really wanted to go to Bible college down the track, how I wanted to uh, do ministry. And he encouraged me in the direction of taking a job in a church as a children's and a youth minister. And that led me to go to a church where uh, I ended up meeting someone who became a real mentor and friend of mine, uh, who's still a mentor to me and a friend of mine today. And as I look back on it, um, you know, 20 years has passed since that interview, but that interview set in place a chain of events that, as I look back, I think it's hard to see how I would have ended up where I currently am today if I hadn't have been in that place at that time and had that conversation with that person. Maybe you've got some stories of your own about the ways that God has worked through circumstances in your life just to lead and to guide you, to bring you uh, to a point where you are today. Uh, Maybe those circumstances were actually really difficult circumstances in your life. At the time, it was really hard to see how anything good could come out of, these, uh, out of these things, but God used them uh, in order to fulfil the plans that he had in your life uh, and his plans uh, for the world. That's what we're really thinking about uh, today from this passage, what you might call, like the, the, the technical term is kind of, you know, the sovereignty, the rule of God or um, the providence of God, the way that God works through the circumstances of our lives, and through the circumstances to fulfill His plans. That's a pretty big topic, how God does it, and I'm not pretending that this story from Acts chapter 23 answers all of those questions, but I do think it's a really helpful uh, passage for seeing the way that God does it in this particular circumstance, how He works to fulfill His plans, Um, and we can learn some things for our own life uh, from it. It's worth stepping back as we come to this and just thinking a bit about the context um, because the benefit that we have in this passage is we know what God's plans are. We know what God's plans are for the church. We also know what God's plans specifically for Paul are based on uh, what's happened through the rest of this book of Acts. So, what's the plan that God has for the church? That's been laid out in Acts chapter 1 Verse 8, uh, Jesus, after he's died on the cross and risen from the dead, says to his disciples, says to his followers before he goes back into heaven, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Have we got this verse there, Scotty, in the slides? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So what is God's plan for the church? God's plan for the church is that he's going to send his Holy Spirit to empower his followers, and then like a giant rock thrown into a pond, waves of witness to Jesus are going to radiate out, starting in Jerusalem where they're all based, into the surrounding areas of Judea and Samaria and go to the ends of the earth. So how's that plan going by the time that we get to Acts 23? Okay. Empowering by the Holy Spirit, check. Witness to Jesus in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, check, check, check. Witness to Jesus all the way to the ends of the earth. We're still working on that still working on that at that point. So, that's God's plan for the church, that this message of Jesus will go out far and wide. What about Paul specifically? Well, we know that Paul's going to be a key player in these plans that God has in store. So, uh, in the previous chapter, a passage we looked at two weeks ago, we saw that Paul stood in front of an angry mob in Jerusalem. This mob wanted to to kill him, but he thought, I'm going to take this opportunity to tell them about Jesus and about his impact in my life. And as he tells his story, he talks about the fact that Jesus has said to him that he has a plan and a mission specifically for Paul. Uh, Acts twenty two twenty one. 21, he says, Then the Lord said to me, Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles." Gentiles are non-Jews, Paul himself is a Jew living amongst Jewish people, but he's been told to go, he's got to go out and tell uh, non-Jewish people, Gentiles, uh, about Jesus. And then in the last verse of last week, the passage that Kirk uh, looked at with us, um, verse 11 of chapter 23, uh, Jesus again appears to Paul to encourage him and he says to him, Take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. So, as well as knowing what God's plan for the church is, to take the message of Jesus to the end of the, end of the earth, we know specifically what he's, got in, what he's got planned for Paul. And we know that Paul is going to get to Rome and he's going to tell people in Rome about Jesus. Right, so it's pretty clear what God is going to do in Paul's life. Right, All clear plan, all smooth sailing then, straight ahead. Only it isn't, we've got massive problems here. Paul is under arrest, um, the Romans have him under guard for his own protection and then in this passage that Tash just read to us, we find out that there are 40 people who want to kill him, and they're so intent on wanting to kill him that they've said, they've taken vows, we will not eat anything, we will not drink anything until he's dead, right? Let's be clear about how serious this is. They've said, either he dies, or we will die, we'll starve ourselves trying to kill him. That's how full-on they are, that they want to wipe him out, So, this is a major blockage to God's plans, right? This is this mad mob of people who want to kill Paul, but we know that God's plan is to get him through to Rome. So, how is God going to get through this roadblock? How is He going to smash this problem that has appeared to His plans? Two ways that He does it in this passage. Firstly, He uses Paul's nephew... And secondly, he uses, let's be honest, some serious military firepower to do it. So, um, or, uh, I was talking to Kirk about this earlier, I he says, it's basically God uses a kid and a commander, um, as, a, as a succinct way to put it. So, in verse 16, uh, we see that Paul's nephew somehow gets wind of the plot, and so he heads, heads into the barracks to tell Paul that there's this conspiracy against him. Now you might be saying, I didn't know that Paul had a nephew. Um, No, this is about the only place that we really get more details about Paul's family. We know that Paul's a single guy, he's not married, um, but we don't really know much about his family, but it mentions here that Paul has a sister, didn't know that, and uh, his sister's son somehow finds out about this plan to kill Paul. So he comes in and he informs Paul of what's going on. Paul tells the centurion who says, well, let's take this young guy uh, to the military commander and he basically uncovers the entire uh, plot to the military commander. So, the first means that God uses here to achieve his plans is people. He uses the nephew who's clearly a young a young person he's described as a young person he's he's, he's probably a teenager uh, maybe a bit older but he's but he's pretty young god uses him to achieve his plans and he uses paul paul uses a bit of you know common sense to connect to the right people to make sure he uses his influence to make sure that he can get his nephew to speak to the guy who can actually do something about it god uses people to achieve His plans. Now, that might seem like such an obvious point. You might say, Tim, why even mention it? That's so basic. Of course, God uses people in His plans. But it's really important for us to remember that, that God uses ordinary, everyday people, people like you and like me, to achieve the plans that He's got for the world. God wants us to use the brain that he's given us to think about how we'll serve him. He wants us to use the energy and the lives and the situations that we find ourselves in in order to serve him so that he can fulfill his plans. God didn't have to do it that way. Um, You might think, actually, God could have come up with a much better plan because people sometimes are pretty crap at carrying out God's plans. We stuff things up, um, we make mistakes... it would be much more efficient if God just sent angels or God just uses His power and He just did what He wanted to do. That's not how God's done it. In His grace and in His mercy, He's decided that people like you and like me, God's going to use us to achieve the plans and purposes that He has in the world. Julie's written a a, a great little piece in the church news. If you haven't got a copy of it, uh, grab it. Uh, she's called it the Ministry of Availability uh, and she's really encouraged us as, as we're a church on mission together to be people who rely on God each day to lead us and to be available to be used by God. Um, Julie encouraged us to pray a prayer like this at the start of each day, Dear God, fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit, have your way in me today I am available. It's a way of saying, as I face wherever I find myself today, I want God to use me in the plans that he has and to look for opportunities as to how I can serve God, serve other people and witness to Jesus. Um, This passage particularly encourages us that God uses young people in his plans. Sometimes we might sort of write ourselves out and think, oh, I'm I'm only young, how could God use me? God uses people of all ages to achieve his plans. It's not like it only happens once you you graduate from high school or something like that. Whatever age you are, I want to say in this passage, God uses a young person to do a major bit of his plans and God will use you, wherever you are, um, to fulfill his plans as well. It's about making ourselves available. So uh, as you go to school, think, how can God use me in his plans as I go to school today? Or as I head into the workplace or into the neighbourhood or wherever you find yourself, to be available to God, to be aware that God wants to use you, that God uses ordinary, everyday people to achieve the plans that he has for the world. Where it goes, God wants to use us Um, in his mission. So that's it, everyday, ordinary people, God achieves his plans through them. But also in this passage, we've got to be honest, uh, God also uses some serious military firepower. Um, So when the commander finds out about this plot, he gets uh, 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and two hundred spearmen to offer a kind of protection detail to make sure that Paul gets to Caesarea safely, uh, away from these forty people who want to kill him. This is this is serious stuff. You might think, man, is this overkill? This is like um, tanks and fighter jets to make sure that nothing's going to happen uh, to Paul. Um, and it's effective, it gets him through, he, he safely gets to Caesarea, uh, and that's where we find him at the end of the passage. He's uh, not all the way to Rome yet, so you know there's still some more steps in this plan that God has in place to get Paul to Rome, that's not going to happen until the end of the book of Acts. But he's actually effectively got him through, using this guy Claudius Lysias, um, and the the military power that he has at his disposal in order to get Paul there so that he can continue telling people about Jesus. So in this case, God continues to use, uh, to move his plans forward using the power of leaders, the power of the state, even its military hardware, to do it. Now, it's definitely worth pausing and thinking about that. That might make you feel a little bit uncomfortable it makes me feel uncomfortable thinking about that. What, what is the relationship here? How does God use sort of the power of the state um, in his gospel plans for the world? What's, what's the role of kind of the authority structures, if you like, in the world in mission? Uh, it can be a pretty contentious question, this sort of one, and I reckon depending on our personalities we can be inclined to get this one a bit wrong in two different ways. So, some of us tend to be pretty conservative and pretty sort of pro-establishment in the way that we think about things. We're kind of, yeah, pro-the government and everything that they do, you know, we'll get on board and we'll we'll trust them sort of um, uh, in terms of what they decide to do. And we can make the mistake of thinking that, you know, probably the best way for God's kingdom to grow, even the only way, is actually if we Christians get control of the power structures, right? Uh, If we can get a Christian prime minister and if we can get like lots of Christians in Parliament um, and in really important positions, that'll be a really good way for promoting the Gospel. It's pretty dangerous to think like that and time and again through history we've seen Christians have kind of gone wrong trying this sort of strategy that when we have held power, sometimes we've used it really badly. We've used it to um, coerce people, um, push people maybe against their will, to uh, follow Jesus and we've got to be really careful that we're not trying to sort of grow the kingdom of the church rather than the kingdom of God because in the Bible God's really clear that the weak and the vulnerable are really important to him and God says he uses the weak in order to shame the strong and the powerful now it's true that Christians in key leadership positions have often done some really good things for the sake of the gospel. So, a good example of that is a guy, William Wilberforce, who was a member of parliament in England, and he worked really hard using his position of influence to fight against the slave trade. It was Wilberforce, who was a committed Christian, and his friends, who were also Christians, who used their power and influence to stop that horrible Um, thing that was taking place in the British Empire but it's also true that sometimes when God's kingdom has grown the most it's when Christians have had no power and been persecuted so a great example of that is in uh, the growth of Christianity in China over the last few decades right Christians there have been persecuted driven underground they've been completely powerless And yet, amidst that, God has made the church there flourish, where it's just growing um, phenomenally. It's growing really big from a position of no power, um, basically, at all. So, I think it's a mistake to think, well, look, it's only by using the power structures we've got to gain control for God's kingdom to grow. But we can also make an opposite error. Those of us who are kind of more... Uh, rebellious, um, anti-establishment, we don't trust anyone. Uh, We can sort of think that, well, the the state and our leaders, they've got nothing to do uh, with the gospel. Uh, We can kind of be disrespectful to our leaders, we can undermine them, or we can just be disengaged. Sometimes we can sort of think, oh, who cares? I don't even want to think about it. It doesn't matter who I vote for. Uh, and be completely disengaged from anything political. And I think it's a mistake both ways, to think it all comes down to this, and to think, you know, this has got nothing to do with it. The right answer lies somewhere in the middle, and I think Paul's advice in 1 Timothy 2 uh, is really important. This is what Paul says in 1 Timothy 2. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving, all different ways of praying, be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. You know, I wonder when Paul was writing, Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, I wonder whether he had sort of the events of Acts 23 in his mind when he encourages us to pray for rulers. He's experienced what good leadership looks like. In this case, Claudius Lysias uses his power to protect an innocent person, to stop violence taking place. And he encourages us as Christians that we should be people who pray for our leaders. Do you notice he doesn't say pray for Christian leaders? And he doesn't even say pray for the good ones, he says pray for all those in authority, the good ones, the bad ones, the Christians and those who don't even acknowledge that God even exists, that we should be committed to praying for them. Why? So that we may live peaceful and quiet lives. If if rulers are doing a good job, then it creates a stable society, it creates conditions where we can live in peace. and be able to share freely and openly the message of Jesus with those around us. Because ultimately this is about mission, because at the end of it he says, this is good and pleases God our Saviour who wants all people to be saved. Ultimately this is about people coming to know God through Jesus Christ, that they would be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So we need to be praying for our leaders, our Prime Minister, our Premier, all of those who have positions of authority um, in our country. Um, In the Anglican prayer book, we often use prayers from the prayer book that we put on the screen. Um, It encourages us uh, to pray um, for the rulers of the nations, the rulers of the whole world. This is is a, a prayer that I'll read that comes from the prayer book. Guide with your wisdom and power the leaders of the nations so that everyone may live in peace and mutual trust, sharing with justice the resources of the earth. That's a deeply biblical prayer. It's a prayer that's based on passages like 1 Timothy 2 and it's an encouragement for us about praying for our leaders. Can I challenge you, is this something that you include in your prayer life? We can often tend to be very focused on praying for ourselves, but we're encouraged here that we actually pray for those who are leaders of our nation and leaders throughout the world. Um, We need to pray that God would help them to rule well, that they would have wisdom, that they'd make wise decisions. We need to pray for them that they would use their power in ways which are helpful, Um, for the benefit of other people, and particularly for the benefit of those who are weak and vulnerable. Um, We need to pray for them that God would use them to achieve his plans for the world, that the message of Jesus would continue to go out to the ends of the earth. Now, it doesn't mean that we just accept blandly whatever our leaders tell us without opposing them. I think it's okay to pray that God would remove leaders who are unfair or who abuse their power and are corrupt. Um, The former leader of Zimbabwe, Robert Mugabe, has recently died and so uh, that's been in the news. And I know lots of people who prayed that Robert Mugabe would be removed from power because he used violence and corruption. In his leadership of that country which caused great harm. I think it's it's fine for us to pray that God would remove leaders who are ungodly and it's okay for us to actually be active uh, using political processes and, you know, protest and all that sort of stuff to oppose uh, leaders who aren't doing the right thing but we should also be praying that God would make them better leaders and that they would do the right thing uh, in the leadership that they exercise. See, God can use bad rulers and rulers that don't even know him in his, in his plans. This guy, Claudius Lysias, uh, was not, not a Christian. He was um, a, a pagan within the Roman Empire and he probably abused power lots of times, but he, God used him in these circumstances to do what needed to be done and he did the right thing and he used power rightly and well. See, God's still working out His plans in the world. That, that mission from Acts one eight, that the message of Jesus would radiate, radiate out to the ends of the earth, that's ongoing. That is still the job of the church and we're still part of that. And so we need to be part of working out those plans in the world. God wants to use you and me in those plans. But we also need to be praying that God would be working through leaders and rulers and those who have authority so that he would also be fulfilling his plans that he wants to achieve there's still blockages there's still violence there's still corruption that takes place and uh, seemingly thwarts God's plans or gets in the way but God we know will fulfill the plans that he has um, that people everywhere will come to know about Jesus so let's pray together and commit ourselves again to that task We thank you, God, for the good plans that you have for the world, but also the good plans that you've got for each one of us. Uh, Please help us to use uh, the time, the gifts, uh, the energy that you have given us uh, to work for your plans wherever you've placed us, whether that's at school or at work, at home or wherever we find ourselves through the week. We thank you that you do use us. And we ask that we would be available to you, uh, empowered by your Holy Spirit to do that work. And we do uh, commit our leaders and those in authority to you, God. We ask that you would work through them too, that they would act wisely, that they would use power well, and that you would use them to achieve the purposes that you've got for the world. And we commit ourselves again as individuals and as a church to the task before us, to take the message of Jesus, the forgiveness of sins that are found in his name, the life that is found through his resurrection, all the way to the ends of the world. God, help us and use us to play our part in that. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from just search for st john's diamond creek if you have any questions about this podcast send us an email questions at stjohnsdc.org.au